Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. You probably know uh, much of this narrative quite well. The Israelites uh, get, get the heck out of there. Um, they leave Egypt, Pharaoh's chasing them down, they're standing at the sea, the sea splits, they cross, the Egyptians don't quite make it, and they are on the other side, and all that they have to do from here uh, is absolutely everything else to journey across the desert and become a people. Um, So we are going to pick things up uh, in chapter 16 of Shemot. Um, which I'm sharing on my screen, and I'm, I want to see all of your faces, but I need to shrink you down a little bit so I can actually see these verses. Okay, very good. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna get right into the fetching. Right here was here was the happy part. They made it across, and the women dancing with their timbrels. That was for Rabbi Schatz. Um, Miriam as they sing her song. Um, and we're gonna pick things up in chapter 16. So, uh, commence fetching. Um, they start walking. They start complaining. Uh, the, the evocative complaint, if only we had died by the hands of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, when we ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out of this wilderness to starve this whole congregation to death. Um, we're going to be looking at verses that are at the end of this chapter. So I'm, I'm not going to take us through all of the back and forth in too much detail, but I'll, I'll linger on that phrase for just a moment because they're talking about meat and they're talking about bread. And what ensues is God and Moses kind of trying to respond to, to each of those requests. So God tells them, I will rain down bread from the sky um, to to test them to see what happens. They should gather double on the sixth day. Um, and so Moshe and Aharon uh, relay this to the Israelites. He has heard your fetching um, and God is going to be um, giving you what you need, right? And and an interesting little little uh, passive aggressive move here from, from Moses. Your grumbling is not against us. Uh, but against the Lord, bring it up, bring it up with management. Uh, this, this was, this wasn't for us. Um, that, that's where the complaint is, but God will answer your, your cry. Um, so Aaron, uh, sort of, uh, there's this, this interesting verse, Aaron speaks to the community. They turn to the wilderness and they see, they see the presence of God. They see Kfod Adonai. And now here God responds, you're going to eat, right? You're going to eat meat in the evening. You're going to eat bread in the morning, and through that, you will you will know who I am. You will know that I am God. And sure enough, uh, in the evening, there's quail, a delicious quail dinner available for anyone and everyone. And in the morning, there is dew, and the dew then becomes a fine and flaky substance that we all know as manna, which is what Moses explains to them in the next verse. Um. And he, he sort of gives them the instructions for how they should handle it. They should gather up lots of it, um, but not too much, right? As much as you require, right? And, and that's an interesting phrase as well. Um, take what you need, 
but but no more, right? Um, in in Omer, a person, right? So like a a bit, not a ton, but but a bit. So then then what? Uh, think think toilet paper hoarding, right? The Israelites did exactly what you would expect them to do, right? Some of them did that. Some of them took a lot, and some of them took a little, right? Not everyone needs to buy a thousand rolls of toilet paper for, you know, things to get a little crazy. Um, but when they measured it by the Omer, it actually turns out um, everybody still had what they need, right? It would be like if everyone wanted to put a six pack of toilet paper. I don't know how far <laughs> I can extend the mana toilet paper analogy. That's probably as far as I can go. We'll leave it there. Correct. Moses Correct. said, <clears throat> make sure you don't have any left until the morning. They didn't listen. This very evocative image, if they had any left, it became infested with maggots. Moses was angry. But sure enough, right, heading into Shabbat, they did what was said, two omers each. Moses reminds them, yes, that's what you're supposed to do. Um, and and again, right, just sort of proceeding apace that Moses says you should eat it today. Um, right, when, when you gather up your double portion, half of it is for Friday, half of it is for Saturday. And sure enough, when they go out to gather on the seventh day, there's nothing, right? Just, just as God said there would not be. God's not so happy, complains to Moshe about it. And says, this, this is what Shabbat's about, right? Shabbat means you're going to do what you need the day before and you, you, you stay put, right? You don't go out on Shabbat. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to worry about, about those types of things. Um, and, and we are told, um, that, that they listen, at least at this point, right? Um, and then here we get the name. The House of Israel named it Manna. Uh, it was like coriander seed white, and it tasted like wafers in honey, which frankly is, that sounds delicious. Um, I'm sure it would get old after a little while, but sounds tasty to me. Okay. Um, toilet paper analogies and food preferences notwithstanding, we are now actually going to get into the verses um, that we're going to be studying. I also don't understand what it means. It was like coriander seed. Like, is that how small it was? Yeah, I think that I think that's like describing the physicality of it, right? You're describing like like, what it is. Eating eating plain coriander seed actually sounds terrible, Um, especially mixed with wafers and honey. Yeah, that sounds gross, right? Like you don't you don't see like appetizers in fancy restaurants like a wafer with some honey and like coriander sprinkled over the top. That would (laughs) that is correct. Very good. Yeah, Um, unless someone wants to give that a shot at a restaurant. But But it is interesting. It could be blended together and made into a a like a tzitza or something. Renee, will you it, give that a shot for Shabbat one week and drop some off for us? Wafers, honey, and coriander. Let us absolutely. know. Absolutely, I will do that. You do not have to do that. Um, I, <laughs> it is inter- it is interesting that that it doesn't say shaped like or the size. And these right. are not our verses, but I just am noticing this now that it says that it was like um, coriander seeds. So yeah, yeah, it doesn't really that doesn't tell us what that. But means. for anyway. me, but for me, the the white there indicates the appearance. Right, like Kizera God Lavan. Right? Totally, it's, and it's, coriander seed isn't white. Exactly. So it's like specifying yeah. what it looks yeah. like. And then, okay. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, great. Now the verses we're actually looking at after that wonderful <laughs> tour through chapter 16. Um, we're looking at verses 32, 33, 34 um, in chapter 16. Um, I am very excited about these verses. We're going back to the category of uh, verses that make you go, huh? Um, 
And we're gonna we're gonna check these out a little bit. That's okay. what this should have been called. That's the versus class that making been called it's not too late. We can change that. We can we can change it up. I love that. Okay. Versus that make you go. I don't know how you transcribe, huh? Um, but sure. <laughs> okay. Vayomer Moshe, Zahadavara Sheretziva Adonai. Moses says, This is the thing that God has commanded. Meloha Omer Mimenu Lemishmeret Ledorotechem. Let one Omer of it be kept as a Mishmeret, right? Like, like fill, uh, fill up an Omer's worth of this manna for a Mishmeret, for a, uh, like a reminder through the generations. Lama'an Yeru Atalechem, so that they may see the bread. Asher ha'echalti edchem bamidbar, that I fed you in the in the wilderness, in the desert, when I took you out of the land. Moses said to Aaron, Kach tzintzenet, very excited about this word, Kach tzintzenet achat, take a single tzintzenet, I'm intentionally not translating that word, v'ten shama milo ha'omer man, and and place within it, fill, like place, take take that Omer fulls worth of manna, and place it before God as a mishmeret, as like a, a sign um, through the ages. And just as God commanded Moses, uh, Aaron placed it before the edut, it's translated here as pact, lemishmeret, to be kept. I'll just give like a brief word um, about these verses before before we turn it, before I turn it back over to Rabbi Shatz for, for the, the Kushiot corner. Um, just saying that it neither Rabbi Schatz nor I had really noticed these verses in, in any great depth before, and there are there are a number of ways. I'll just I'll leave it at that. There are a number of ways in terms of what's happening with the manna and how it's being manipulated that do not fit with at least how I thought about what's happening with manna and in terms of what's going on at this point in the narrative. So I'll, I'll like leave it at that. I don't want to, I don't want to say too much for now, but I think there's a lot of stuff here that is interesting to, to pull apart and dive into. Great. Um, can you just scroll up a tad so that we can also see the English of 34 if people want to see it? Oh, uh, okay. Um, and sorry if I seem a little bit distracted. I'm also trying to multitask our tech team getting set up for this thing that I'm doing right after this. So I'm with you and I'm also, my eyes are in multiple places. Um, okay, so Kushiot, anybody have any questions, any things you're noticing, um, any words you potentially don't know that you would like to talk about? Yeah, Bonnie. I want to know where the manna is. Where did it get lost? Yeah, great. <laughs> Great. How to, and I think that's probably why um, Rabbi Shapiro and I weren't a, like didn't remember really focusing on this because you kind of just jump over this part because of that exact question. Like, wait, what happened? How did we how did we lose track all of a sudden? Yeah, Jay. Um, how big is an Omer? Mm, great. Great. Good. So there are different um, measurements of things in our Talmud, in our Mishnah, here in the Torah, um, that we obviously don't use in today's world 
in English or in Hebrew. Um, and so an Omer was a certain amount of something. So how much did it, how much does it actually mean in our, in our day? I actually have a book right over there that I, I can't usually say this because I'm not usually in my office, but I can go grab it and see if it tells us the answer to that, Kushia. I, I, I just looked it up using Rabbi oh, Google okay. um, because oh, as I was reading those verses, it occurred to me, it's like, oh, that's, that's actually a piece that I didn't look up. Um, Rabbi Schatz can check the, the physical book. Um, the, the answers that I saw said 2.3 liters, which oh, is actually more than I thought it would be. I was picturing like kind mm. of a little like jar of oil a la the Hanukkah story, but like not like a, a two liter <laughs> bottle is like a substantial like a two liter bottle of Coke is a big bottle of Coke. So bigger than I thought it would be. Thanks. According okay, Renee. Um, according to well, uh, also kind of related to what Jay was saying, but the tzinsenet, I mean, the tzinsenet by uh, my, my terms is like, a, is a jar, right? And we're talking biblical times. It seemed, it would, it seemed kind of odd to me that, that they would take its tzinsenet and put it before God, that it's just a simple, you know, like a simple regular run of the mill jar, that if they're putting something before Hashem, that it would be, it should be something more nice and more Great. special. Great. Fantastic. Renee out, of curio- Renee, out of curiosity, how do you know that word? Oh, wait, sorry. You're muted. I muted you on. Tzinsenet is just, it's, a, it's spoken Hebrew. I mean, uh-huh. I, I, I use it quite a bit. Got it. Got it. Got it. So like it's as a, it's as a, a known word in Hebrew. Very yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Karen, you had your hand up. So maybe I, I tuned out a little. But they're dying of hunger and starvation and blah, blah, blah. And now they're not supposed to eat everything. They're supposed to save mm. it for another time. Mm. So there was one thing about that. I mean, are they still getting enough to eat? And now they have to save some too? Okay. <clears throat> and also, I can't say. But it's like God saying, make sure they know how, how I took care of you. It's kind of... Um, I don't know, egocentric or something. You know, I mean, it's make sure that this, you save this so that I, you, they will know. But I also understand it. Uh, just remember, it's like Pesach. I mean, Pesach is remember what I did for you. Yeah, great. And I think Elon was also nodding along with you. I think it's, I think it's exactly that. It is egocentric. It is God saying like, I did this huge thing for you. Make sure, what? Rabbi Shapiro is not, doesn't think so. Disagree, but that's okay. Okay, um, that that it is a way of pe- them believing, and it's actually it's interesting. Like this, we are taking opposite stances now, Rabbi Shavari, you and I from last week. Um, that uh, that God is somehow needing to be the center of that moment, uh, and in memory, but also in action. There's no, <laughs> there's no blood. There's no blood in mind. You know, there's no. But I, I'm not sure how you can blood? interpret it any way but e- egocentric, right? Because Correct. Because God's what what and this happens frequently. God's saying, "Do this so you remember what I did for you." Now, egocentric does not necessarily imply bad, Correct. but it's clear there's no other reason for it. How how could one interpret it other than being egocentric? Rabbi Shapiro. Well, this this is getting off track from from. Are we? That's true. Are, okay, we can. No, no, no. We can go to that after. You're should, right. Should we put a pin in that, or do we wanna do we wanna dive into that? No, put a pin in that. That was that was a kushia. We'll put a pin in it, and then you can answer first. Okay. Question was Rabbi Shapiro. How can you think something so ridiculous in a name? Well, you said that we didn't. Okay. Uh, yeah, Nancy. I'm curious about this whole 
last part of it that that Aaron placed it before the I mean I'm I'm looking at the English but before the pact and what does that mean and where is it <laughs> and that whole idea yeah great fantastic other thoughts questions I'm only not commenting because I was part of what I also looked at so I'm not <laughs> I'm not going to give you the answer yet any other thoughts questions comments okay Rabbi Shapiro why don't you uh, unpin your answer and we'll go from there. I'm also going to rename Susan because every time she re-enters, I think it's Rabbi Klickfeld. So, um, <laughs> so anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Wait, can I say, uh, I, I, I don't get to say the fun. If I, if I go into this, can I then say the fun part about verse 33 afterwards? Will yeah, go, just go. Yes, yes. Don't. Go ahead. So this is a podcast. People need to be. Need, Are we sure people move. listen to this? Yes. Really? Conti yes. Can you? Hi, help? everybody. Um, okay. So, I, I mean, to Elon, to your point about like ego, egocentric, not necessarily as a bad thing. I, I guess I see it. They're they're in the relationship building stage, right? They're they're trying to figure out how to be in relationship with each other. This is a people that just got taken out of oppressive slavery that they had been in for centuries. They've just made it out, and they're already saying, "Well, what have you done for me lately?" I mean, Karen, Karen, to your point about there, there's not enough to eat. So why are they taking? Why are they why are they keeping some for leftovers? I, I it, my sense is it's actually the opposite, right? That the verses leading up to this are telling us about the inherently temporary nature of the manna and the quail, right? That it spoils after like after one day. And fascinatingly, we're scooping up a two-liter bottle of it to keep for centuries. Right. So so to me, that's one of the things that's interesting about these verses is that. Something that goes, I don't know what goes bad most quickly in your refrigerator, but like think about whatever goes bad most quickly. And now we're being said, we're being told actually keep it forever. And it's going to last for years and years. I mean, we don't know where it went, right? But it's going to last for years and years and years. I think that's really interesting. And in terms of the, the egocentric piece, I, I, I like, sure. I mean, I think, I think there's a, there's a there's an edge like to that word that isn't necessarily totally positive. Um, I guess I see it as God saying, this is going to be a sign, right? This is going to be a symbol of how I'm helping to care for you and sustain you, right? And and I mean we we can still leave that adjective, but I guess I see it as a symbolic gesture of relationship building um, that will be kept always rather than ugh, why does god need everything to be about him but, that's, but that's what's what what if i give money for a building or if i give money for a scholarship fund and i name it the spar building or the spar scholarship fund um one can argue and, and correctly so that there is a motivation of, of ego there otherwise i would have given it anonymously Right. Having said that, the there is still a positive outcome from it. So it is okay that God says, uh, "Remember what I've done." There, there, there's not. I have no problem with God needing that gratification. I, I, it doesn't. It doesn't make me feel worse about God. 
Interesting. Incidentally, there's a great Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry David gives a wing and has his name on it and Ted Danson gives anonymously but tells everybody he's anonymous and it's a fantastic Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, but uh, that's neither here nor there. I'm curious to hear what others have to say. Yeah, Karen more and then than Denise. Enthusiasm references. Karen and then Denise and then Renee and then Neora. Woo. It's like the ashes of a dead person. It's like the what? What? The ashes of someone who's died. Right. In other words, it doesn't have to be coriander that's still coriander and eating it. But it is something, when you said it goes like away, it's, it's you know, I don't know what, the next day, it's not mm. still mana to eat. Okay. I hadn't thought it, about that. That's such an interesting connection. I mean, I have the ashes of two dogs in my house. And so whenever you pass by, it's not like they're the dogs, but you remember. And so I, it's, it's mm. kind of like that. So it doesn't matter about it lasting as it was really planned. We're not mm. going to eat it, but it's a reminder. It's a, what do you call it, a mezuzah on the door when I walk into my That's really beautiful. Brilliant. I love that. Thank I you. love You're that. You're welcome. You're well, you can use it anytime you want. <laughs> well, thank, I might in a few minutes. You'll hear. <laughs> okay, Denise. <laughs> so when Rabbi Shapiro said, They've been slaves for like hundreds of years and oppression and stuff. I don't know. It was like this light bulb because they thought like maybe they're not complaining like yeah, whining, but more like just stressed out because when you're a slave like that, it's awful and it's oppressive, um, but it's really predictable. And that when there's unpredictability and there's more options, you know, that's great and it's free. But it could also be really stressful if you've never encountered that before. So maybe that's part of what they were experiencing. Yes, I, I, that I agree with completely, which is why. Yeah, sorry, I keep jumping in. but Yeah, Renee. So I, Rabbi Shapiro said something about the egocentric and it may not being, being so bad. I'm thinking that, you know, we, we can look at egocentrism and selfishness and whatever is a bad thing, but from a perspective for the Jewish people, it's also it's also an opportunity to learn what the repercussions are of that, positively and negatively. So I kind of see it as a learning thing for that that the, the Jews got from Hashem. Do hmm. be agrees. Right. Yeah. Archbishop, you have anything to say about that? I mean, I have a lot. I've, let's let know. I'm I'm acu- I'm accumulating. Th- I've. I, okay, it's interesting. Fine, it's interesting to me that this is where the conversation is happening. This is not at all where I expected it to go, which is why this is always fun. But yeah, I'm I'm thinking. Okay, Neora, you can you get to add. Just quick, um, I was thinking about the egocentri- egocentrism also, and remember me, and sometimes remember me like it's just kind of like an affirmation of a connection we had. Um, hmm. Don't forget, it's, I don't know, there's something very personal about it, that there was a, a space of you and me, and don't forget that. And uh, I don't know, connections are some of the most important things in life. So that's kind of what, because I, uh, the egocentrism, I kind of wanted to see, see it a different way, because I guess a part of me is biased. I want to see the good side of God. <laughs> so I'm like, well, what's, what's a good way to see it? Sure, sure. 
I think we all search for that. I think that's why the theology of why do bad things happen to good people is such a strong one and such a hard question because we want to see the good in God. And so when we see these aspects of God that are are maybe not bad, but are challenging, that's a very difficult part of uh, theology to have to contend with. Rebecca. Just, I have a feeling that it's there, they're in a bad spot. It hmm. didn't, that's not the. Great, great. I think that's that's mostly where I was hanging with it as well. I mean, I think first of all, it's always wonderful when like a a a phrase that you don't expect will generate so much conversation, generate so much conversation. That's just that's always cool. And I think um, Rebecca, I'm I, I think I'm mostly aligned with with your sense of that, right? That this this is yeah, it's a it's a reminder, right? And we have the like mezuzah was referenced and all that kind of thing. Karen, what you're talking about in terms of how how you remember your dogs, right? <laughs> that that this is a way that we remember and stay in integrity with a relationship. I'm 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 thinking about right when when you if you have a, a spectrum of of healthy and unhealthy relationships, right? Like there's one unhealthy form of relationship that's codependency, right? Which is like your well being is totally tied up with the well being of another person, right? That's codependency. And completely being completely independent means you're, you're trying to have no relationships whatsoever. Right? You're just trying to go go it all on your own. Healthy relationships are are interdependent, right? That that you have your individuality, right? I still I still act as an independent person in the world, and I'm still connected to the people I care about and who care about me. And like through that lens, I I I see this as like God trying to make a move towards interdependency, right? And this the, like I can use this as a segue into like some some of the other where where some of the mafarshim go in terms of understanding. There's an interesting connection with something that happens like later on in Jeremiah, where like the the teen tenet is actually like held up and and said like, see, remember this, right? Remember this time that we had in the desert. That, that God and the people of Israel, and we talk about Sinai as a marriage, right? That they're sort of in, they're in their like, are they engaged? I guess they're engaged right now. They're engaged and they're moving towards the wedding, right? So they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to make this relationship last, last long term? And God says, yeah, like, here's an indication of how I'm helping take care of you. And like you, I need you and you need me. And I guess that that's kind of how, how I see this. Um, Do you want to talk about the scene Senate piece? Because now we've like, we've mentioned it, but not explained why you're so excited about it. So excited about it. Um, in case you were doubting how dorky your beloved Temple Betham rabbis are. Just rabbi for this one, but. Mm-hmm. Um, no, excuse, excuse me. <laughs> excuse me, Rabbi Schatz. Uh, I cool. was prepping for our class last night. Uh, doing my usual linguistic due diligence as I am wont to do. Um, and I looked up the word Tzintzenet and it only appears once in the entire Tanakh, which Renee is why I'm particularly like taken by your comment of no, this is like actually a word that's in normative modern Hebrew usage, which is so fascinating. So I texted Rabbi Schatz and Rabbi Schatz, what did you say? Hapaxagamanon. Yes, which is a wonderful Latin term for a word that only appears once in the whole Tanakh. 
you used plenty of exclamation points too when you texted back. <laughs> so I was not the only person, unless you were just. Well, hypoxagomenon, I think, is so interesting because for the same reason that the Sulam and the Jacobs story is a hypoxagomenon, but now similar to how. Um, uh, to how Renee knows that Sin Senate is a jug, that we take kind of the context around the word and we then put it to a definition, even though we don't actually know that a sulam is a is a ladder and we don't actually know that it's Sin Senate is a jug, but because we've now created kind of modern terminology around the context of created a container the, the word. what our understanding might be. Oh, the container. Very good. To lead us to the definition. That was harder for a ladder. But anyway, um, that that's that that's how to we climb then climb the challenges words. that we might face in understanding what these verses are telling us. No? Okay. Um no but but A it was exciting and B there like there are a couple of different comments, like trying to understand, like, okay, what is this scene tenant and how do we, how do we figure out what it is? Yeah, Renee, you, you're, you have your hand up. Tell us about scene tenant. Is that the plural for a scene tenant? Scene tenant? Sure. Um, no, it's just interesting to me. I, I do the daf shvui, and I'm in the part of the daf shvui where they're talking about damages that are done by vessels or uh, containers. And interestingly enough, they don't use the word "sincenit" in that. Right. Hmm, interesting. So, yeah, it, it. I agree. I agree. I don't. I haven't seen it used either. And it's uh, other than no, knowing using it on a daily basis, <laughs> just because I'm in the kitchen so much. I I wonder. This is my imaginary drash on what Eliezer Ben Yehuda might have been thinking when he created modern Hebrew. Like, what? What? What if? when he was like coming up with what modern Hebrew words might there be for like jars and containers, he thought to himself, Oh, that scene Senate is something that was supposed to last for generations. And now I'm bringing Hebrew back. So I'm going to reintroduce that word here so that we can have like a symbolic gesture back to what that meant in the context of the Torah. That is my imaginary drash on what Eliezer Ben Yehuda might've been thinking 130 years. It's also a fun sounding word. It sounds It is also a fun sounding word. (laughs) kind of boring but since it has a nice yeah. ring to it absolutely rebecca did you were you waving were, was that an eliezer ben yehuda or you yeah oh you're muted oh you're muted i i just looked it up as well because i know for jam it's since it's reba and it's it's a, the word for a jar uh-huh. but it, it says that it's not ben yehuda it was some other guy ruven el kalai that oh al kalai yeah so, so, but that, but that uh, he, but that he brought it back, that he like sort of revived it, right? But, so it was a word that had like lain dormant, that really wasn't used, but then was. He or, even made a verb out of it, sin which means jar. To, to put in a jar. Yeah, I've never That's seen. That's so that. cool. I will tell a very sweet story about alkali because. Uh, you are all members of Temple Beth Am. Uh, Baruch Link, when learning poetry with him, he used to never allow you to just say that you didn't know a word uh, or that you had looked it up in a dictionary, but you couldn't find it. He would always say, Alkali, Alkali, Alkali. That's exactly right. When And when Sarah and I were going through our books, like, what are we going to keep from grad school? What are we not going to keep from grad school? Because of our beloved Dr. Link, we, even though 
we don't we don't really use our <laughs> English dictionary all that often. Uh, we could yeah. not bear ourselves to get rid of it because what is that word? It's the name, it's it's the the name of the person who, who created the dictionary and per Rebecca's comment also played a major role in terms of like what what the language of modern Hebrew is, right? You you know it's a good idea to have a dictionary if you are someone who has played a role in the creation of the language, right? So so that's generally a good a good resource to be going to. Um Rashads, do you want to talk about it seen Senate some more? I could talk about it seen Senate for a long time, but I don't know if there's a piece that, that you want to make sure to share. I also have my Hasidut piece that I'm very excited about, but what's your Hasidut piece about? Teen Senate. <laughs> okay. So my <laughs> great, obviously. Um so the pieces that I the the part I guess I would say that that I found most interesting was the idea of not only having this jar, um, but also having it be something that was there forever, which is why I really liked um Karen's interpretation of it being similar to what but some people do with ashes uh to keep them in some kind of urn and I I was just very taken by this idea because as some of you have mentioned you know they were complaining in the field about not having or not the field <laughs> the desert not having an, if it was a field it would have been easier not have enough to eat uh and then all of a sudden they had the mana but but the idea of the mana was kind of to take them from a place of nothingness to a place of of plenty a place of abundance and so why keep the mana around that that was my kushia like what what's the reason to keep the mana around um and to have it be something that is symbolic of a harder time as opposed to a time that was that was easier um so i interestingly i found a few rabbis who are talking about that this week which was maybe rabbis always talk about it and i just had never noticed it but i was surprised that they were talking about it this week um there's a so senate energy in the air everybody's feeling the teen senate this year yeah sure um so i one of the pieces that i um, found was from a midrash from midrash Tanhuma, and I'm just going to read it, and then I'll explain it. Um, was this a piece that you brought, Rabbi Shapiro? No, okay, great. I just don't want to step on your toes. Okay, so it says, and Moses said unto Aaron, take a jar and put an omer. Actually, let me share my screen. I know some of you appreciate that, so hold on one second. We can read it together. Okay, uh, for those of you who are listening to the podcast, it's midrash Tanhuma. And it's for Beshalach, that's this week's Parsha, 21.1. And it says, And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer full of manna therein. I would not know of what substance the jar was fashioned, whether of silver or of gold or of iron or of lead, except for the fact that scripture says, Tzin Senet, a word that suggests something that keeps a thing cooler than anything else. Jastro tells us that Sinsenet is in the text because it glistened more than anything. Jastro is another dictionary uh, guy, author, would you say author? I guess. Um, and that could only be a clay vessel. And put an omer full of mana therein, right? So now we're just talking about what it was made of. Uh, and then this omer, this bunch of mana would go in, or maybe two liters worth of mana would go inside it. Rabbi Eliezer held, it was stored there for future generations. While Rabbi Eliezer was of the opinion that it was put there 
for the Messianic era, for the time about which the prophet Jeremiah said to Israel, why do you not devote yourself to the Torah? And they replied, if we do, how shall we obtain our sustenance? Then they brought forth the jar of manna and said, O generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a have I been a wilderness unto Israel or a land of thick darkness? Wherefore, say my people, we roam at large, we will come no more unto thee. Your fathers occupy themselves with the law and see how they were fed. Concern yourselves with the law and I shall feed you from this jar. Very, very interesting, right? Again, this idea that manna was supposed to be something that was given to the people as a way of gaining nutrition when they can't couldn't find it anywhere else and yet here it's being seen as some kind of like prize almost right as like a great thing to to be able to uh to obtain this is one of the three things that elijah will restore to israel in the future the jar of manna the bottle of anointing oil and the bottle of sprinkling water these are things used in the temple others add aaron's rod with its ripe almonds and blossoms okay so oh rabbi shapiro yes you're muted. Yeah. Light edit on that, which is yeah, they might have been used in the um, in the temple, but when you talk about bottle of anointing oil, I think that's a reference to Mashiach, right? Because Mashiach is the anointed one, and the sense of Elijah coming, right? I think I think it's an indication because I saw a similar. Um, well, but they but else. but those things are used like they they are used for the Mashiach later on because they were used in the temple. It was Great. my understanding. Great, but that, but then like the connotation when Elijah comes, like it's a it's a Harbinger. Oh, I see what you're saying. Got it. Like, like a harbinger of the messianic times that like Got when it. Elijah comes, this Tzin Senet is like a critical piece of the messianic puzzle, which again, for something that I've known about for approximately like 72 hours, like yeah. I've known about anointing oil for a while, but the Tzin Senet is new. I'm just trying to say. Yeah, it's yeah that's clear. Um, I, so for me, this Midrash is particularly interesting because of the way that we actually understand mana as something that needs to be held onto, that even if it was seen as um, like, I keep thinking of, you know, like the army food, right? Like it would never be the kind of meal that you would go to a fancy restaurant to receive, but it keeps you sustained. It keeps you with nutrition. And, and when you, to, to imagine that being the kind of sustenance that you try to hold on to, whether it's for memory or because that's being given to you as some kind of reward, that's just a very different way of understanding mana and holding on to that, especially in the time of Mashiach, just seems really bizarre. But the part of it that I really like that comes kind of from my brain based on the Midrash, doesn't directly come from the Midrash, um, but is this idea that we need to hold on to things that aren't just good. We need to hold on to those memories. That's why I think in Judaism, we have so many touch points of memory, because it's not just about the good. Me oh, sorry. Am I stealing something from you? Anyway, that's okay. Um, <laughs> that we are, that we're not just holding on to memories that have made us feel good or taken us through good times, but that we're also holding on to memories. Sorry, I'm stealing stuff from Matt Shapiro and I feel really bad. <laughs> um, no, ex 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 exactly the opposite. The text oh, that I'm okay. going to well, bring indicates something talking. exactly the opposite. And, oh, and again, again, I'm coming at this from a very different place, which is, yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun day. 
Okay, then quiet and I'll finish. Okay, so th the idea that, that those memories also make help you grow and that holding on to them is actually more important than just letting them be. Once it's over, letting it stay behind. But that if you hold on to it, it can help you get to that next stage, which might be better and more beautiful. Um, but you needed those pieces, those shattered moments, that mana, as opposed to, you know, the the very gourmet dinner uh, to to be held in your um, in your midst. Yeah, Bonnie. So, if it's supposed to be very important to remember as a sign, um, why have you just heard of it just now? Where is it else found in anything through the centuries? Are, are, are there, you know, is it is it in some of those other things, not just the word Sing Senate, but the right. Of, of the storing of the mana as a sign for all of us to remember. A hundred percent. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know is the, is the answer. Um, I think that the idea of mana is obviously one that, that most of us have heard of and have thought of. And so possibly if I wanted to drush on that, we are the Tzintzinot, right? Like we're the ways in which we carry that mana um, forward. <laughs> Watching Rabbi Shapiro's reaction. Now you're now talking. you're stepping on the uh, now you're stepping on my toes. Here. Okay, then go ahead. Go ahead. You take it. No, I mean it's like it. It's you're you're good. It's all good. Um, no, no, that was it. That good. You're go you're 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 droshing all over the place. <laughs> um, I'll. What I will say is, it's it's interesting to me that as you're riffing, you're landing on the idea of mana as a sign of something that's like not not like we we're carrying that memory with us to remind us of a time that that wasn't great certainly traditionally even though like it seems at odds with the shot of this parag the time in the desert was supposed to be like when Bene Israel were like at their holiest at their yeah. closest with God like the best of times like have you yeah. read chapter 16 um <laughs> but um that's often how it's understood and mm -hmm. still i would say the mana is it, it is a life-giving substance that was offered to us right that's amazing mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and sarah and i were talking about this a little, a little last night and and she was reflecting on um this as an interesting um construct in terms of what we're going through right now in terms of having enough right the, mm -hmm. sen the sense of like we might not have everything but those of us who are blessed to have it, like we have enough and like mm -hmm. that can sustain us. And that's a really interesting idea. Mm -hmm. um, thank you, Sarah. Um, but That goes back uh, to your toilet paper thing to be, you know, silly about it. No, but seriously. Back, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, and how, how are we working to calibrate a sense of um, enoughness, right? And that there's actually a really yeah. profound and important spiritual lesson in that. Yeah. Going to... Now, Rabbi Schatz, what you were saying about each of us being the Tzin Senate, Rabbi Schatz, I'm doing this for you because whenever I bring long Hasidic stuff, you you look very confused because you are a, a visual you are you are a visual learner. So I I made sure that the long text that I'm going to share uh, was written out so you can you can roll your eyes at it for different reasons. Um, oh, Thank you. Know. Yeah. Okay. So this, so this is a teaching of the Mori Nine. We could do like a whole, a whole Hasidic jam on this. Credit where it's due. I did not translate this. I found this on Safari. Thank you to the person who. I will. I will just say 
because mm -hmm. yep. I know I know Riley Shapiro very well. I saw this Maori name. I started reading the first three sentences and I was like, nah, he can bring it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really glad that you're teaching it. <laughs> you are you are a you are a, a, a thoughtful teaching partner. Thank you for that. It's, wonder, <laughs> yeah, it's no wonderful problem. to be known. Um <laughs> There's there's a lot here and there there's no way like in 11 minutes we're going to we're going to buzz through this and get every piece of it not even close but there's there's an interesting idea that I'll try to sort of like pull out a bit um to to explore for a little bit before we wrap up so so again there's this sense that just what I was referring to that B'nai Israel, when the, the people of Israel, they were going through the time in the desert, it was an extremely holy time for them. This was like unadulterated, spiritual, ultimate. There's no mediation between B'nai Israel and the experience of God, right? They could, they could see the, they could receive the life force without any God. They can, they can get it directly from God. Um, and this is now going to take us, that, that that's a, there's much more there, but that's going to just come into counterpoint for where I'm going to focus in a bit more, um, which is, so Rabbi Schatz, you uh, and the, and the Maori Nine, the Chinooblo Rebbe, you guys are are operating on the same wavelength. We, we continue to see that you are so much more Hasidic than we ever knew you were. Mm. This idea that each one of us, see here, right here, his life force is garbed in a vessel. Right, that that we are each walking around and have a life force within us, and God has seen tsumified. Right, I'm intentionally using the Hebrew and then making it right because seen tsum has rich connotations in right in this type of literature that God has contracted God's self enough for creation to exist. God has contracted God's self enough, and so therefore. When God says to Moses, take it, seen, send it, and put some manna in it, that's because, right, that the meaning of it is that the life, that the manna is the life, which is, which is where I'm pushing back on, on your first rush, Rabbi Shots, right? That the manna <laughs> isn't like uh, the hearkening back to the oi of the experience, that the manna is the hearkening back to this is like the essential life force that's, that sustains us. And even though we do not have the ultimate spiritual experience that the Israelites had in the desert of not needing any barrier between them or God, or not having any barrier between them and God, whatever, even though we have this seen Senate, this like container, we still have, have the manna within us, right? We still have um, that that life force within us, and so so then there's the challenge of of accessing that. A layer in one one more piece of a very complex text that we don't have nearly enough time to explore, but just just it's very interesting to me as well that he has like sort of a not like quite like halachalama I say like very practical thing to do, but he does bring it out in terms of a way in which we can conceive of this a little bit today. Folks know, right, this this Parsha and Bashalach, we also have the Song of the Sea, Az Yashir, which is a part of our everyday um, liturgy. And so what the Maori 9 reflects back 
is that when we say that with kavana, when we say that with intention, there's an idea in, in Jewish mysticism, right, as above, so below, right, that when we do things here on earth, that there's a, a corresponding action up, literally up in heaven in that construct. When we say the Az Yashir with intention, that like that activates something up above and we in turn sort of like get infused with with life force down down below right down here so to to make that a, a little more practical and to like try to translate and pull that apart a little bit more i, I really like this idea this construct that Rabbi Schatz got to without the Maori and I'm all by herself. Um, this idea that we're, we are each a vessel. We each have that life force within us. And there are things that we can do and like need to do to be able to access that. And that when we do those things, we, and, and this goes back to the idea of, of building relationship. When we, when we pray with Kavanaugh, when we act with Kavanaugh, we impact God. And then that creating that, activation within God in turn activates the life force within us, which brings us back to um, the wonderful time that, that we used to have. Um, so there's a, there's a lot to go into there, but I got very excited seeing that Rabbi Schatz knew I would get excited seeing it. Thank you, Rabbi Schatz. Um, <laughs> share it with, with you guys. I, there's, this doesn't, uh, this isn't directly connected, but it made me think of this other piece that I found again from a rabbi who was speaking about this, this Shabbos and, and posted about it. And, um, he wrote mana therefore was a meal with a message. It was not just a way of feeding the people, but a means to teach them. It trained them in trust that the mana would arrive every day in contentment with what they had, what they had and not seeking more in planning ahead for Shabbat and respecting the sanctity of Shabbat. These were religious lessons, not just for that time, but for all time. That is why a jar of mana was collected and placed in the Ark of the Covenant alongside the Ten Commandments to be a reminder for all future generations of those ideas. Really interesting. Any uh, thoughts or comments on this? Yeah, Renee. I, I love the way all your classes are kind of combining together with the, you know, the srugim and the observant and non-observant and preparing for Shabbat ahead of time and not cooking on Shabbat. And maybe today's modern man is cholent. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Huh. Although, do you eat, do you those. eat do you eat children every day? I was no, just giving Rabbi children. We only eat children on Shabbat, and we prepare it ahead of time in See? our crock pot, and we eat it on Shabbat. It's the one I just I mentioned it yesterday. It's the one meal that I don't have to think about. What am I going to make today? Because we always eat children on Shabbat. Rabbi Shatz, do you hear that? You only eat children on Shabbat. And I I, did, I made it for Shabbat. Thank you. Rabbi Schatz earlier this week was talking make, talking about making chillant like on a Tuesday, and I was I was giving her a very hard time. How I just you? had the ingredients and had the time. Anyway, okay, Rabbi bye. Schatz, how did it turn out? Uh, did it taste like coriander honey wafers? I haven't tasted it. Okay, Bonnie. <laughs> so, so to me, the take home from all of this is that the actual King Senate was not lost, but that each of us are now the vessel for knowing that God is there and, and God's support allows us to have enough each day. And certainly this past year, as we've mentioned, 
shows that up more than usual mm -hmm. um, in having to um, to do with with what we what we have, mm -hmm. and that that's the reminder of the mana that was sent those long years ago. Yeah, beautiful. That's a great connection to especially what we're living through right now. Yeah, I'll add in there. It's really difficult. You know, it, it's really difficult to be walking through the wilderness and to not be able to fill up as much as you can with your provision so that you like know you can make it through the week and you need to take it one day at a time. Um, it's really difficult right now. I think there's there's that, you know, eternal challenge coming from a slightly different direction. But we know this, right? Right. Who is rich, the person who's happy with what they have. Um, that is an eternal spiritual challenge. Right. It was back then and it is now. And I think I, I see those as it as at least there's some Venn diagram there, right? the sense that, OK, if I have enough for today, that's enough. Um, it's difficult. I, when we were growing up um, and I don't know if this comes out of a midrash or I, I'm not sure where this comes from, but um, we were growing up when we learned about mana. We learned that the mana tasted like whatever you wanted it to taste like. Um, and and I there's something powerful about that also that that when you think about enoughness or you think about being um having to be satisfied with that which you have in your house I, I just keep thinking about like the way that at least I um think about groceries these days is so different than I used to right and and making do with what I have in my house and creating new recipes and finding use for new ingredients that I never would have thought of before because I'm not just rushing out of my house to go to a grocery store. Um, and so the idea that mana could be this, this kind of magical potion that teaches us uh, to, to understand that, that blessing of having enough, but also the creativity of figuring out what to do with it, to, to see it as a blessing, not just as, oh, I have another can of beans, you know, I should order something on Postmates, right? No, figure out what to do with the ingredients that you have uh, with the mana that's being given to you. To it, to yeah, Nancy. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. And then Nancy can go. I, I was just going to say, I think, I think it cultivates a different kind of awareness, right? It, it just sure. cultivates yeah. a different kind of awareness of, of food and gratitude, right? If I actually remember very, very clearly there was a moment at the beginning of this when we really didn't know, right? We really didn't know if the food supply chain was going to hold for a couple of days. Um, some of us were more aware of that than others, right, Rabbi Shantz? Um, and there was a moment, I think, the first or second week of this when we had had mac and cheese the night before and I put out mac and cheese for the boys for lunch. And they were like, we don't want mac and cheese. We don't want mac and cheese. And I said to them, you need to eat this. This is what we have. And I said to them, and it was like a really emotional moment. I said to them, I promise you, we will always have enough food, but I don't know what the next couple of weeks are going to look like in terms of being able to pick what you eat. It was the first time in my life I've ever said that to my kids, which I will also own, like come from a place of tremendous privilege. I know, but I know that differently now than I'd ever known it in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And, and all like, that complaining, right? Like the complaining that the Israelites do and then receiving the mana and, yeah. and having kind of that talk of like, yeah. this is what you get. And this is what you get. Yeah. But you yeah. have, but you have it and I'm get and I'm get, and 
And can we be grateful that we have this? Right, right, right. Yeah, Nancy. Okay, so you kind of talked just now about where I was going to come from, which is that um, we can have this discussion because just like you say, if you have to have the same thing two or three or four or five nights in a row, at least it's filling your stomach, right? Yeah. It's yeah. really hard and maybe the last night too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's really hard to say, yeah, that's great. Be happy with what you have when you don't have enough. And, yep. and you know, it's, um, I think, you know, ordering from the grocery store and getting, you know, half of the order kind of right brings you more awareness but you still can say well i'll be happy with what i have absolutely there, there is there is still there the the inequities and and disparities in terms of how so many of our systems are set up are are horrifying yeah and what I, that's about food or that's about the vaccine uh, or that's about uh, housing yep. that's about you know yep. it's, it's a real downer but it's, it's <laughs> but it's true right? but it's, it's true and it's, and just you know listening to the conversation i think you're right i think it gives us a better perspective of what it's like um but you know i don't know bringing it back to the you know god and the mana and all of that um you know it's hard to say for people who really don't have enough right yeah and I, I would say I think two more things on that. One of which is my my hope that um, the the fact that I had that moment with my kids, which is on so much of a lower level than what millions and millions of people experience each and every single day, at least brings a little more awareness. Hopefully, a lot more awareness to me in terms of how I operate within food systems in my life, in terms of how then that activates me um, to behave and call awareness to things. Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing I would say to your point, Nancy, about how do we do when, when there is enough, there actually is enough. There's more than enough food in the world. Right. There are enough raw calories um, for people to have all they need and more. But because of how systems are set up, they don't get them. Absolutely. And, you know, Rabbi Schatz set up the food pantry um, at Betham, and we try to work with organizations that help, you know, people where we can. Um, but that is a call for all of us, right? Maybe, maybe that's what the Mishmeret needs to be. Maybe that, maybe that's what this is really about. The reminder that we should each have enough. There's enough for all of us to have enough. But the question is, how do we make sure that we're setting things up so that people can have enough? And like there was that verse about how some of the Israelites would run out and grab a bunch and some people just didn't, right? How do we get to a place where we can discipline ourselves and, and continue to do that work? to have that kind of equality. Like that's, that's one of the things that maybe this is calling us to do. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll say one thing and then rubbish where you can close if you'd like. Um, I think that this is, it's, it's interesting how this conversation has gone. I don't think this would have been my conclusion had we taken it a different direction, but it's interesting how, um, when thinking about all the things that Nancy just mentioned, right, the vaccine, food, toilet paper, all these things, um, Rabbi Shapiro alluded to a moment where he and I went to, uh, and it's a funny story, but but brings actually a lot of poignancy to this, um, 
after Purim, we had extra materials because not everybody in the community came to Purim last year because it was the beginning of the pandemic. And um, we just ended up with more stuff than we needed. So we went back to what? And I completely misunderstood what it meant to try to make your own uh, yes, correct. Hand sanitizer. Right. hand sanitizer. Right. He also had the wrong supplies. I wasn't going to call you out on that, but okay. Um, so we went back to Ralph's to to return the supplies. And this was right at the beginning of things, the beginning of March. And he said to me, Rebecca, can you stand in line while I go to get a few groceries? Because there's going to be a huge line for us to return this stuff. And I looked at him and I was like, you're nuts. There's not huge lines. Like it's 1 p.m. on a Thursday. Like how could, how could we possibly stand in the line? And we got to Ralph's and there was a very long line. Um, and he asked me if I needed groceries. And I was like, no, I'm totally fine. And and we just, we we too often forget things that that are going to help us with whatever comes next. And I hope that I remember that. And I hope that I keep the things that were important to me during this time in mind when we move out of this time. Um, and I hope that I recognize privilege more uh, in order to help others. And I hope that we're able to really just have learned things from this period of time that we're in to be able to do something about them um, when we're when we're out of it. So that for me is the is the way that I'm thinking about carrying that mana uh this Shabbat and and all forward Shapiro Renee Renee has a Renee you have a quick thought before I, I wrap it up yes a quick thought this week we also commemorated uh International Holocaust Day yeah and all of this talk that you guys are talking about now with food and whatnot it reminds me very much growing up in a Holocaust home of mm-hmm. the whole mentality for them for many Holocaust survivors both my family and people that I talk to now making phone calls Mm -hmm. that this is a really scary time for them, not only because of the time now, but it brings back those memories. And, you know, I know for, for many of them, you know, having pantries and, and that concern and worry about, are we going to have enough food? Or like you were saying with the Mac and cheese, you know, I mean, my parents were happy to eat whatever they could eat, you know, even if it was a potato peel. Right. So it just reminded me of that. I just wanted to share that. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for bringing that. I, I appreciate that. I mean, that, that historical resonance from not very long ago is still quite real. Um, mm-hmm. You know, not, not to, not to just sort of slap a happy face over that. Right. But my hope in turn is that we can remember all the times that we have been sustained because those are real too. Right. And that hopefully, hopefully, hopefully a everyone on this zoom now and everyone listening to this does have the sustenance that they need. And if you don't, we're here to help you. And I hope people know that too, um, because we are blessed to have enough resources that that we can provide for those in our community who are in need. And we we are always working to make sure that we can do that. Um, and I guess to to tie it back in, in a slightly different direction, I, I really do love that text from the, the Mo'orainayim and doing the work, yes, on the physical level, but also on the spiritual level as well, to try to look within ourselves and look within our community to, to trust and have faith and, and look within to see the resources that we each um, that we each do have within us to keep putting one foot in front of the other as we walk this journey. I, yeah. And I, I trust that we each have that. And I hope you do too. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. 
If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.